everyone, and welcome to our podcast, Clear as Mud, where we talk to game developers from all walks of life about their personal and professional journeys. I'm your host, Graham Waldrop. As always, our show is presented by Mudstack, the only asset management and collaboration tool custom-built for game studios and digital artists. For more information, head over to mudstack.com. On today's show, we welcome Sean Bell, art director at Bonfire Studios. However, when we did this interview with Sean, he was the art director for Treyarch and worked on numerous Call of Duty Black Ops games, starting with Black Ops 2 in 2011 and worked there until last year. We unpack a ton of information in this episode, including what it's like to make a multiplayer map in Call of Duty, how Sean guides younger artists, diversity in the game industry, and how the Treyarch team overcame the COVID-19 pandemic that occurred during the development of Black Ops Cold War. And the cool part about this episode to me is that it doesn't matter if you're a Call of Duty fan, because you're going to be a fan of Sean. He's a great guy, has a ton of insight, and you know he really paints a clear picture about what it's like to work on such a huge franchise and the pressure that comes with that, and a whole lot more. So without further ado, here's Sean Bell. What is that like working on such a huge title that has millions of fans, a ton of expectations from Activision, the studio, I'm sure, um, and just get into that 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 process of of creating some of the biggest and uh, most beloved titles, I'd say, in the in, in the franchise in a lot of respects. Um, would just love to know your experience uh, working on that stuff. I always think about working on triple A, triple A, or just taking a step back when I first kind of entered into like Treyarch in working on a game on a project like Call of Duty. Um, it it was like coming out of high school and going straight into the NBA. Though the mechanics of like what you have to do is you know, consistent from game company to game company. It's just everyone's faster, everyone's stronger, everyone's like on top of their game. So you're no longer the the person that is the best in your craft at, at another company. You're you're amongst like elite talent. Um, and um, I think with that it comes a like a level of discipline, a level of commitment that is really unmatched at any other studio that's working on games that might not be, that might not have as much of the public eye. Um, so it's a, it's a really competitive environment, but not in a competitive of like, everyone just wants to come against like your ideas or anything. It's just, everybody wants to make the best game. So they're asking the tough questions they're really wanting to know what you're what you're putting forth. And as an art director, they want to know the direction that you want to go down. Is it sound? Um, have you thought through all the specific things? And this goes from like working on working with lighting, working with character design, working with um, UI. Everyone want to make sure that where we're headed is the best way, the best um, best direction we can go to add value. Um, and not just do something for the sake of doing something. Even though there's time and place for that, most of the time it's like this decision needs to help propel where we're going. Um, so it's a, it's a different mentality. Um, one other aspect to the question of like, what is it like 
Um, and we might unpack this later, but what is it like to work on a AAA game like Call of Duty? Um, you, you have this constant um, buzz in the back of your head of what the players might be thinking, what the players might be interested in. So we're making, we, most of the people there love playing our game. So they love, um, you know, making content for our game. So when you have that, um, people are very passionate and committed um, in doing what they need to do to get the job done. And um, sometimes that's, you know, you got to work pretty, pretty hard or um, some later hours. But, you know, it's always with the eye on a prize of like, um, you know, just trying to make the best thing. Um, yeah. So I think that's kind of a general, a general overview. Does it ever get personal at all between, you know, maybe design and, and art in terms of like trying to make the best decision for the game? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's if you think about it, right? So short answer is yes. Um, and it's not just art and design. It's, it's, it's design and tech. It's art and tech. It's um, every department, art and audio, every department um, really looks at it as like their, their part is the most important part of the game. And specifically between art and design, um, the way I personally um, look at it and the way I also try to um, kind of direct out of is understanding what it is that design is trying to communicate and making sure that as an art director that we're complementing that um, and not doing something that's going to grossly um, be at odds with that. But there are times that art is making a decision um, that is going to be in direct conflict with the agenda of, of um, what design had. And that's when, you know, you, <laughs> you got to roll up your sleeve and you got to kind of like really hash it out with them of like, mm -hmm. why, is it, why do you want to go down the path you want to go down and how, they, how we still meet the needs that they might want to some degree. Right. Can you think of a specific instance? Yeah, yeah, for for sure. There's several instances that comes to mind. You know, um, on um, if you look at our kind of our our history, so you can see on Black Ops, let's say multiplayer specifically, mm -hmm. um, you can see on like Black Ops Two um, and Black Ops Three. When we look at the lighting in our maps, um, the lighting, the way you the, the way to think about multiplayer, it's like it's playing chess. Both sides are set up with even ground, and um, and you have the, the the equal amount of like players, and you're just kind of making the best chess move to get to where you need to get to. Because of that, we try to keep the chessboard as neutral as possible. So if you look at say Black Ops Two and Black Ops Three, even Black Ops One, um, you'll see that like our environments. Um, have a level of exposure that allows for equal footing if you're indoor or outdoor, right? Mm -hmm. um, but um, as we started to transition, like say onto Cold War, um, we really wanted to push more of the contrast. We really want to push like that authenticity, that realism that comes in like living in a real environment. So with that, you have more harsher um, contrast, which then goes directly in, con um, in conflict with player visibility mm. um so a person could be inside and we're outside and you just have that um 
you just have that disparity, um, which you would naturally have in a real life environment. But when you're playing chess, again, you want it to be as neutral as possible. So um, that was some tough conversations and not just with me, um, just with kind of our, our overall staff of like, how do we want, how do we push quality? How do we push that realism? But still um, adhere to what design have in. Those are just like late at night talking with some of the design directors and, um, and design leads about where do we want to pick our battles? You know, where do we want to, where do we, no pun intended, but where do we want to pick our battles uh, and come to a compromise? But it started with, at the beginning of the game, making sure that they are aligned with what art objective is, which is getting quality. And quality is realism, quality is authenticity, quality is something that is, is really tangible for the player, you know? Yeah, and I noticed just from, I actually didn't play Black Ops 3, but I played two and- Shame on you. I know, I'm sorry. Yeah, no. <laughs> no worries. And, uh, but uh, I played two and I played four. I played four really recently, actually. Uh, well, not mm-hmm. super recently, but I, I got COVID over December. And oh, yeah. I was just, I was just like, it was over Christmas. So, you know, it was off for the holidays, but it was, just, you know, it was a very COVID Christmas. And my <laughs> wife and I were like, we got to download a bunch of games that we haven't played before. And, uh, yeah. you know, let's just, let's just sit on the couch, sick as dogs. And we just, we're just playing games and, uh, we played and, and we, she and I used to play black ops one all the time. Like oh, that was, nice. that was our jam. And uh, zombies so I was like, or, uh, we did zombies. We did the split screen multiplayer yeah, uh, online yeah, stuff. Yeah. And man, we got, we had a blast doing that. That was, uh, that was a lot of, a lot of fun nights in college doing that. Mm-hmm. But we were like, Oh, let's do black ops four. And, uh, one thing I really lo- appreciated for the jump from two to four is like, uh, I didn't notice that, that contrast as much as, um, I mean, what I'm trying to say is like, I, I wasn't thinking about that contrast when I was playing four. But the thing I really, uh, you know, now that you mentioned that, I appreciate it is, is there is that visual contrast and it does make it feel more realistic in terms of like the indoor areas versus the outdoor areas. Um, the way specific guns, fi- you know, the way the guns fire outside versus inside. I mean, there is a, there's a level there. Um, that's really, really nice to behold as someone who hadn't played the black Ops series in so long. Mm-hmm. Um, I really appreciated yeah. what y'all did visually there. Cause that, even though I could understand that, that mindset of being like, well, what does this do to player visibility? I'm like, you know what? I, I like this because, uh, I kind of know what to expect now when I'm going outside, like your brain starts to adjust to it yeah. and not, and it's not like unfair or anything. So I think that was a really, that was a great move. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And it's, and once again, you know, it's like a, a testament to everyone kind of getting on board with, um, with where, what we're trying to do, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, as you know, like leading games out there, we try to constantly push forward and push, you know, ourselves. So yeah, thank you for that. Yeah. And I, I imagine too, cause you guys are, are making these games at such an incredible rate and in, in terms of just like, Oh yeah, it's a prolific studio. I mean, you guys are yeah. making some of the biggest games there are and you're, you're turning them around really fast. Yeah. Yeah. That's gotta be so difficult. One to keep doing that. And two, keep finding periods of time to, to, to attack. Cause you know, we've done the modern warfare, we've done world war two. You guys doing cold war was really cool. I think, cause we hadn't really, seen a lot of that but that's also got to be a challenge right when i'm sure everybody's thinking about like hey what's the next game what's what what time period is it set in you know sort of deal 
Yeah, you know, um, so to I guess to really make sure I'm understanding your question is like mm-hmm. it's just like there is a pace, and what it goes back to what I what I originally said like um, just being able to um, hit the ground running and you're playing with these like really you're you're working side by side with some of these elite people on your team. Um, when you transition from from year to year to year, um, there is a little bit of part of the team peels off and look towards the future, looks towards like what's happening mm. um, on the next game. And we use, you know, like most AAA games um, uh, make decisions portionally out of a portion of it is by, you know, passion and like what we think will be the next experience that's different than the last experience. But there's a bit of also like analytics that comes into this whole thing of like, what makes the most sense? You're seeing, you're looking across the landscape and, you know, Battlefield is coming out with, you know, like um, World War II. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, that doesn't really make sense for us right now. Um, Fortunately enough for for, um, Black Ops, we're true to our... um, like our core black ops experience. So we have a lane that we stay within, you know, um, to make sure that we can really kind of uh, hit that. So from year to year, it's like, you know, there's a portion of us that's focused on um, getting the ship done, ship game done. There's a portion of us that's focused on um, uh, servicing like all of our post content. And then there's a portion of us that are focused on what's next, what's coming, and um, and it's scalable. Um, and as you know, as one starts to die down, we f- we start to fill up the other. So that's you. Ha- it's an endurance. <laughs> it's I look yeah. at it as a marathon. It's definitely an endurance. What do you guys do to kind of sort of keep more morale up when you're just in this constant uh, marathon, as you put it? Yeah. Um, so morale is um, morale can be can be answered in a couple of different ways. First, at the core, is like what is what is um, kind of depleting morale, um, and it, I would say there that could be anywhere from um, stuff that's happening in people's personal lives to the state of the world um, to you know how people are talking about our game. But if we're if we're just talking about um, the the pace of what's happening with um, with making a game like ours, the morale is is that we really um, focus on um, giving people time off. We really try to be mindful um, time off beyond just your normal pay time off. So we try to give people time off uh, above and beyond. But to be honest, right, it's it is a challenge, you know, to to keep to keep people their morale boosted. If it's solely about the the rate in what we're what we're working on, um, but you know we try to get ahead of that, and I think it, for us, or at least for me, um, and and I know there's a couple of key others that really try to stay on a pulse of our team, and making sure that we are looking out for them and getting them what they need. So um, it's about being proactive. It's about um, uh, keeping a pulse on what's what's going on and having those real crucial conversations with people. Um, so, you know, the game is made up of of people. You know, 
Um, so we really need we really need everyone to kind of show up and be present. Um, and we try to do what we can to make sure we're we're giving them what they need as well. It's always a tricky balancing act, but yeah, 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 yeah. And so let's um let's I'd love to just break down like uh, the workflow processes uh, yeah. that you have in place in terms of like you're creating a, a map. Right. Like um, it doesn't even have to be like a specific one you guys did, but like high level version of like you guys are making a map. You're working with design. Obviously, you're working with everybody. But what's that like? And then how are you managing all the people on, on your team to ensure that, you know, the vision is completed? There is obviously secret sauce to creating the type of game that we have. That's just like working on it from year to year. But if you really break it down into really practical um, like road, roadblocks, it's, you know, starting off with just sitting in a room, sitting, um, and nowadays just talking through Slack about like, what is the, what is the map and really trying to, or what is the concept and really try to work through, um, like the high level visuals, um, the high level hooks, the high level, just the high level of the game, um, of whatever map. And then from there, it's it's always this baton back and forth where um, design will do a little will take some of the ideas they'll do a little bit then art will go forth and keep ideating on the on the overall design um, and then we'll get into we'll get into we play test we play test almost every day um, or as many times as possible so once the map is at a certain um, a certain level. Then we start really play testing that more consistently, and um, and some of the things that we say, you know, it's just like the map will kind of tell us what we need. So we'll um, as we're making decisions, we're 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 checking that um, uh, against our initial visual design, our visual hooks, our game pillars, all our gameplay pillars, and all that. Um, and it's we go through kind of a block out phase. A, a, production uh, detailing phase and so on and so on um, to to once we get to the final like um, like alpha phase of the map and that's when we open it up wider within uh, a broader group to play the game and then we get into their feedback and from there um, we spend um, just a little bit of time to polish and then we put it we'll put it away because what we do is we learn from every map is like a learning. So we, now we take that, what we learned on this map, we move in, um, mm. move on to a next map and then come back to the map before we really polish it. So nothing, um, I, I, and we say this to the team and say this to the team, it's like, we're like we're never done until it's shipped. <laughs> so we're constantly um, going back and forth on, on maps that we've probably worked on over a year ago, we'll come back to and, and redo. Well, I like that too. At, you know, when you're saying sort of near the end where it gets to a certain point, you put it away and then you'll come back to it because it's probably good to get some separation yeah. from it because you've been working on it like crazy and you need some time to really get fresh eyes on it, right? Yeah, man, because you, 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 if you stare at something too long, you're, you, you don't see its flaws anymore or you see flaws that are not really of value. Right, that no one's <laughs> you know really I mean? gonna care about who's playing it. Very much so, very much so. Yeah. And I mean, as art directors, we get caught up in into like, oof, we need to move that blade blade of grass over. And it's like, no dude, no, actually, no we don't. No, <laughs> yeah. we, we need to leave it alone. Right, 
and when you're when you're thinking about the overall visual look for something, mm-hmm. what goes in what goes into that? Yeah, the overall visual hook. Um, a, a lot of our maps are based on um, just real world locations. So mm-hmm. it's important for us to be culturally sensitive to what's happening um, mm-hmm. in those in um, in those environments. Also, like our games sometimes are period pieces, so we also want to be mindful of um, of what's happening in that time in space. You know, like if there is a big change in regime, you know, within that country, we uh, we try to make sure that we 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 uh, we we be as honest as possible with that. So the so with that out the way, you know, it's it's just a lot of um, sitting back, going through Google search, Google dives, um, and pulling a bunch of references. We look at, so we have what is the conflict of what's happening in the map, um, and we have like the specifics of like the map might be in Kyrgyzstan, you know, okay. I never been to Kyrgyzstan, mm-hmm. but I can now, you know, I can look online, get a feel of like the culture and get a feel of like what's happening there and put together uh, basically like uh, a mood board that really gives people a quick snapshot of like, here's what's happening. Um, and um, and we work with the designers to make sure that that I mean, not designers work with narrative and just make sure that um, we are being honest to our our overall game narrative, but also what's happening in that specific area. So um, a lot of reference dives, a lot of um, uh, mood boards. And then from there we get, um, once everyone's aligned with where we're going, we um, we really start to focus in on the, 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 the particulars, the cult, what, um, like, like what are the core landmarks and things like that so so mm-hmm. we start to really shape out the identity of what the what the map is right and how much liberty i know you're saying you guys are always trying to be culturally sensitive and and you're working closely with narrative but how much liberty can you take with a location you know if you need to make a change for for the game since we're since we're not beholden to the actual location directly mm-hmm. um because there there could be whatever legal reasons or whatever whatever um you know, we have a lot of we have a lot of flexibility or creative liberty to to make adjustments, but we really try to hit that squint test type of thing. Um, that if you're looking at it, you're like, yep, yep, that's that's generally there. You know, we we really try to be mindful, like especially if we're in different cultures that have or different regions that have a really. Um, uh, a strong identity with religious um, iconography. Mm-hmm. We really try to be mindful of making sure we're not um, we're not encouraging any type of um, religious like uh, attacks or anything like that. So mm-hmm. we we stay very we stay clear of that. But we're also if there is if it is something like that, we try to be really mindful to be honest to what that will look like versus like some. Americanized perspective of what that could be. So, um, you know, we really try to um, be honest to key things, but then we're making a game, and at the end of the right. day, the game right. has to play. The game has to be cool. You you have yeah. you have to have fun. Yeah, it's not going to be a one to one representation yeah, no. or something. No, yeah. no, for real. Um, yeah, I mean, we made we made uh, <laughs> flying uh, 
uh, if, uh, not flying. We made a map called Skyjack, which is a flying, like, uh, transport military uh, assault vehicle. So. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always loved those uh, those RC cars and yeah, all their bro. various permutations. Yeah, man. Yeah, uh, those are some of the funnest like um, score streaks to have. Um, oh yeah. Some of those RCXDs. Yeah, when uh, when I saw that in four, I was like, yes, this just brings me back. Yeah, uh, that that was also something that was really interested in, in terms of just how you guys have transformed um, your level design. Because I remember playing two, and I I thought, man, these these maps feel really small. Mm. Like a lot of the maps felt really small. like the skate park one, especially to mm. me, felt like tiny. Um, and when I was, you know, trying to play like a bigger game, like uh, domination or something, I was like, this is just insane. Like there's just, <laughs> there's too much going on. I'm spawning and just getting killed. And then when I played four, the competitive, I was like, everything just feels so spread out in a good way. Like I really uh, dug what you guys did there with the level design in terms of, and I know that's not like your focus, but I just think it's really cool how, you know, you guys are, it seems like you're always trying to iterate really hard yeah. on, on, on the level design yeah. in terms of, you know, not just your visual stuff, but also just the design itself, um, which I definitely appreciate as a player. Yeah. Like our designers, man, are like, they're, they're, they're pretty dope in, in, in regards of almost every designer plays every other like multiplayer game that's out there. So they have a constant pulse on like what is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you know, like you said, I'm, I'm not really, um, uh, I can't directly talk about what, how they go about doing their, their, their things because they're, they're wizards in my mind. But, um, um, yeah, every game we really try to figure out, um, how do we, how do we up the player experience? Mm-hmm. And, um, and that might be, you know, uh, one game or one, one, launch uh cycle we might have a lot of like small um quick engagement type of experiences um because that's also what where the environment where the the player landscape is at you know they they want quick engagements they want those quick experiences and then you know and then some games you know um we need we need to be more fast and fluid um and which requires the maps to be a little bit bigger, you know, mm-hmm. because you can you can run a little bit faster, you can move a little bit quicker, um, you can mantle a little bit quicker. So um, we really try to look at what we've done, um, what what is working, but we don't want really to be too prescriptive of of like you should know you should know exactly what you're getting. There's a bit of that, but it's more or less like how do we how do we up it a bit you know um and i i give a a, like a lot of testament to the designers for being able to you know always um, propose like here's what we need to do for the next game here's Mm -hmm. how we're going to improve the next game it's like all right that's that sounds dope let's go do that right how much emphasis do you guys put on like when you're when you're creating a map um or you're creating a bunch of maps obviously you guys make a ton of maps Mm -hmm. every game but sort of like um modular design or sort of reusing assets in different ways, like sort of little tips and tricks there. Cause I think that's something, you know, a lot of younger artists or people who are students, you know, they don't really think about 
mm. sometimes when they're when they're creating something, you know, and how how important that is. One in the sense of like it helps the engine, but it also you know saves you a lot of time as as an artist. Yeah, man. Um, in most game studios, obviously there's standards um, like that we try to adhere to. So like window standards, like um, mantle height standards. So all of that is pretty just like consistent throughout the industry. But um, modularity is is kind of like um, key. Well, it's key to a point that gets you like that 70% of like basic kind of like breakdown. But as we get more into like photogrammetry and becoming more true to real world scale, um, each building is is a little different, right? Um, because in reality, each building is different. So there is a there is a bit of modularity that we that we try to keep in to save our to save our lives and keep us sane. But um, but that last thirty percent is where we really try to add the bespoke pieces to it um, to really make it feel like you're in in the environment. So um, a room might be you know. A certain a certain size or certain unit size um, from room to room, but then this room might be a little different just to allow um, for you know because you're going to run through it a lot to allow for more landmarking experiences or opportunities for people to understand and orient where they're at. So yeah, and so you guys are working with photogrammetry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been working. How's with that? I, I haven't really talked to anybody that's really working with that stuff and that, that, that's really interesting yeah photogrammetry has been in our pipeline for quite some time it has its uh like benefits and it also has its trade-offs um so here's with regards to um benefits um it saves with regards of trying to trying to replicate and once again going back to authenticity it's really key it's like it's it saves us from trying to make something that people know what a fire hydrant look like but there there is this like little details that since every fire hydrant is different it might be a little different and it just helps you kind of like it's just that little bit that's like yeah that that just feels right um to buildings you know it's like the way the way like the weather um lays on a building and how you know um just over time it gets sun bleached and all of that so um photogrammetry and even to like rocks and assembling of like how um how the building is actually assembled um sometimes the the second floor is not as is not consistent with like all the other floors right it's um it, we that's the that's the benefits you know you get you take the guesswork out of some of that stuff mm-hmm. where it's a challenge is um like sourcing like going if we're making, let's say Kyrgyzstan, let's go back to the Kyrgyzstan um, example. Kyrgyzstan might have like a very unique architectural style, which requires you to actually have to go there versus like, oh, I can just go to some place in like um, Spain that might be similar or maybe somewhere here in the States where it's like Santa Barbara, you know. Um, so the problem comes is, OK, now we got to fly people over there um, to this very remote place and then from there um deal with all the the specific region um laws in a region like um uh legal stuff that's there if you know you're going to be making this map you got to get ahead of that way in advance we have um 
we have like team members that focus primarily on just photogrammetry just so that we can get ahead of a lot of that and from there it's like processing all that data putting together maps so that we can run around in it to make sure it feels right and then and then we apply those learnings into our actual maps so most of the time the the, the bottlenecks come into not being able to find the thing that we want to look for because um there could just be a multitude of issues so we have to get creative i'm now we're we're now flying people to hawaii to grab something that's very specific to a map that's actually in Norway or something like that. Well, it sounds like, I mean, the benefits pay off in terms of the authenticity of it. I yeah, mean, I think for sure. The, the, the games are looking better and better, uh, not just because of the technological advances, but I think I would imagine that has a huge, that plays a huge role in it. Yeah, for sure. Before it's like, hey, we need these rocks. So someone had to sculpt the rocks in ZBrush and they had to do like a displacement map, all these different things. And um, and it will look cool. It will look good. But it's that uncanny where you're like, mm, something something just feels off about it. Um, and when you get lighting and you get all those different all those elements playing together, you're like, something feels off. It's passable, but something feels off. Where with photogrammetry, it's just like, nope. That the textures is one to one to the actual scale of what that model is. You know, and you're like, yep, that all makes sense. It's actually something we, we've had a couple of art directors and I always forget to ask this so I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna take advantage of this now mm -hmm. uh texturing what's what's y'all's texture kind of pipeline like do you guys automate anything or is it by hand or how, how does that work how do you guys bring bring that stuff really to life yeah I mean uh, once again like a, like a lot of our stuff is um you know uh, scanned and stuff like that so mm -hmm. you know there right. was a time in place where where we did um paint a lot of textures um and um so each artist had to be equally proficient in being a good modeler as well as being a good texture artist um but most of the stuff now that we get are, are scanned um not to take away from there are a lot of stuff that we don't scan but we have mm -hmm. we at this point in creating this game um there's just such a repository of different things um, that we mm -hmm. were clever in how we can take uh, something that was textured for something else and, and modifying it to be able to um, to apply to something else. So it's a lot of um, reuse when we can because it's volume that we're trying to get out um, and, um, and doing as much scanning. But yeah, there's a lot of automation involved, but most of the time... Um, Oh, we get what we need. We make what we need to uh, adjust. I mean, we do what we need to adjust it, and then we just keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. I imagine that's also, it must be really useful for things like guns. So many guns, right? Yeah. Yeah, like guns. Um, guns are one of those ones for sure that we have to scan because it's it's just, yeah. I mean, obviously we can't, we can't use something directly one-to-one -one because there's obviously legal issues involved with mm -hmm. almost almost anything we do of this scale um but there are like textures and things like that that can be ported over you know like say if you're making an anodized metal you know we can we can scan something like that in, get that real look and then we have amazing material artists that um or i'm sorry tech artists that can make materials that get us that direct look 
um, because one half of it is the texturing, right? But the other half, the, um, so one third is the texturing. The other mm -hmm. third is the materials, obviously, um, really making sure the materials are dialed in. And then the other, the other third is the lighting, you know what I mean? And making sure that, yeah. that um, everything is compliant, meaning everything works because um, we work in um, uh, photo based um, uh, PBR, um, uh, photo based reality. So um, we, we try to make sure that everything's compliant. Nothing's too black, nothing's too white, um, so that when you get it in an environment, it, it works consistently. So, yeah, yeah. And how big is your team that, that you supervise? My direct team is a total of like four, um, but um, that's not consistent across all the trailer. Like each each lead has a mixture of different amounts. We try to not put more than more than eight um, uh, direct reports. Um, and, gotcha. Yeah. So it's sort of like you would have four people that are reporting directly to you, and then they have a bunch of people reporting to them. I would imagine. Yeah, I think, um, yeah. yeah, the specific group that, um, yes, the specific group that I um, have directly reported into me, they handle actually more of, I would say, our marketing side of things. Because mm. um, mm -hmm. it's just, it, it is, there's no rhyme or reason why someone is reporting into someone, uh, sometimes at Treyarch, you know, it's it's a good thing, but it's also, you know, it's just, what's the best manager for that person or for that, um, mm -hmm. for that group. And that's how we look at it. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to say, like, if you're, if you're having, uh, you know, 45, 50 people like you, that you're directly supervising, I imagine that would be yeah. insane. Yeah. You'll lose your so mind. I was going to get into like, yeah, I was going to be like, well, how do you connect with a team of that size? But that doesn't sound like that's a problem. No. Um, but with that, I guess like if we just, um, so we have, like for me, I have a um, one-on-ones. So the, the the way to affect and be present is um, when you're at when you start to get more and more at leadership and director levels. Um, I think there's this, or at least I used to have this um, thought of like, oh man, when I'm a director, I'm gonna be able to say and, and tell people what to do and get to do whatever I want. And, and the game's gonna be look in my vision. <laughs> and really what you find is that, um, or at least what I found, is that once you get to a certain point, um, it's about releasing ownership, as much ownership, because um, you're just trying to make sure everyone is effective at what they're doing. And the way of doing that is making sure you're setting clear objectives, clear goals, but it's also about like setting up one-on-one -on -one meetings with people um, to one, make sure that they're being heard and seen and that you can keep a pulse on what's going on and or what's happening in their team. Then we have like weekly meetings with the with a, with a broader group of like leaderships and leaders. Um, and we also have them with cross studio, cross disciplinaries um, as well. And then we also have more formal, bigger meetings, you know, where um, where it's more studio wide. So it's my day consists of a lot of meetings and actually less of me sitting around doing the, the, the artwork. 
um, just so mm-hmm. that the team is being as effective as possible and being heard and seen. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So you're 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 almost like a protective barrier in a way. Very much so. I, I actually, yeah. I yeah. I always I, every once in a while because producers, I love them, but they're always like, hey. We got to go. We got to move. We got to keep yeah. going. Um, and I always look at myself as Gandalf, where I'm like, you shall not pass. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. um, and uh, it, you just like that is our job as being directors in, in, in leaders is like understanding what needs to come through and how we can push the team and when we need to like hold the line and be like, nope, we need to spend more time or no. We need to kind of let this go at this point in time. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's got to be a hell of a balancing act with with projects at this scale. Knowing when when to relent and when to when to protect. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. There's probably there's no way to probably get to know what to do until you get you know the so many situations like that, and you just sort of learn by doing. I guess at that point, right? Yeah, there's a bit of like reading the tea leaves and being like, um. You know, there, I, there's a lot of factors involved with like understanding that. Um, I think there is a systematic approach on like, hey, this map is not ready, or this this asset is not ready because of these whatever impediments are getting in the way. But, mm-hmm. um, but then there's sometimes when it's just that gut feeling of, um, you know, hey. Um, I, we're not getting assets on a certain time. I know we can probably push for it, but you know, I think it's better. And when you're a director or a lead, but especially someone like me, um, it's like understanding where we're at in a schedule, and and you kind of have to talk the talk of of um, of each discipline. So you have to be a jack of multiple multiple trades. So I would mm-hmm. I could sit with a producer and be like, look. I know we're supposed to have this done, but you know, um, we need to push this out. Um, and here's how we can push it out. Looking at what we have coming up, this is what we need to do. And then you go around and you gain buy-in. So um, I know I went in kind of a journey on that one, but uh, but it's a it's it. There's no direct formula. It really comes down to what the situation is, understanding when you can. Um, convince producers, convince design or convince other departments on that we need to push something. Um, um, and really just, you know, trying to keep, just keep an eye on that. I think it's important for us to keep a, a view of what's coming and how we actually, how we need to adjust. Yeah. Seeing sort of the small, the smaller picture now, but realizing how it's going to impact the bigger picture. Very much so. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, I'd be interested in talking more about that process and a lot more with with uh, Cold War because mm-hmm. um, that was that was developed during COVID. That came out during yeah when we were in super in the pandemic and in, yeah. in twenty twenty. Um, that must have been a hell of a thing to to develop in the sense of COVID happens. You guys are probably I don't know how close you were at that that point to being <laughs> you know done, but yeah. you know, the game's coming out later that year, yeah, yeah. so it's like you know, time's running out and then the, the, the world goes topsy turvy. Yeah. Um, between that and all the social injustice stuff going on. So I'd, I'd love to get to know the, the sort of development story behind that one. Yeah. Like that, man, we could probably spend a whole, whole 
day on just that topic. But um, I would be remiss if I don't say this. Um, I have to give it up to like our like IT department and because here's what happened. What was it? January? You come in after coming after the holidays. We're high fiving. We knowing what we need to do. Then February, we're like, oh, I guess there's this pandemic. Um, I think it's going to be a couple of weeks. Then what? Um, later that month, it was like, oh no, this is real. We gotta, we gotta leave like tomorrow. Yeah, I remember when, uh, yeah, when when they canceled March Madness, I was like, oh my god, this is a real thing. Yeah, exactly. I need to start paying attention to what's going on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it was like, and it went from it literally went from this is not a thing, not a big thing. I mean. N- not that studio was saying that, but just I think everyone was just thinking it's not a big enough thing to like, oh shit, we got we got leave, right, yeah. like right now. And why I say we have to give it up to the IT department, you go from like your systems and everything is set up so that people can be in the studio to now someone might be in another state working on like the poorest of internet connections and still need to produce something at the right time. So for them to go from like, yeah, our life is sweet to like, oh man, are you telling me we gotta like get, we gotta turn into Amazon and be able to like <laughs> work with all these different people across the, I don't know. So, um, so the, in, in saying that is because for me, it went from literally going in on Monday and then on Wednesday it was like, you have to go home, take all your computer stuff with you. Yeah. To Friday of that same week, building the game and running and having meetings on that Tuesday. I mean, on that following Monday. That was insane um, that we were able to do that. So I think when that happened, I think there was this like look around the group of like the world is going crazy um especially in the early time to like yeah i think we can still do this um let's keep moving forward um and that it wasn't like a my decision i think it was just a a a global like universal like yeah Mm -hmm. um and then from there you know um once again like all of our systems is set up from like automating level building and um and all our tools are like there there there's just um a lot of automation and just like Getting up to getting up to date, getting up to speed, and you know, doing what you have to do, checking in—all that was pretty pretty straightforward. Um, and we already had a schedule of what we needed to do and what milestones were coming up. Obviously, it was flexible um, because we didn't know what was going to happen in the world. Like the world could have exploded, and I mean, who cared about Call of Duty at that point in time? <laughs> but right. um, but yeah. we kept um, we were able to stay focused, and I feel like. Um, it, and not to sound too preachy, but I feel like when things are really, and this is just how I view the, view life, it's just when things are really crazy, it's like if you can have something constant that you can orient to, it just makes things a little bit more clear um, just for, mm-hmm. for that period of time. So I think because we had a schedule, because we had like clear muscles and we were able to get back up to speed within like for some people like a week or two weeks, it was like, oh. Yeah, this is this is this is cool, and I get to be home. So that was the beginning. Um, then obviously you had a lot of um, um, come like that. What 
um, June and July, you had a lot of in, um, social injustice. And for me, um, you know, directly, um, you know, um, I don't know if it, obviously people can't see me, but, you know, being African-American, there was a lot of things just happening in the world that directly, directly impacted me um, personally and family and stuff like that. And um, um, it was just it was hard to stay focused on what we had to get done. Um, um, but I, I give it to like the leadership of Treyarch. Um, and when I say leadership, I mean more like the studio heads for them to give us grace of like, dude, this is not that important right now. Like, go take care of family, go take care. And just having that support allowed everyone to take time away to process. We even shut down. We shut down production in the midst of all of this just to make sure that people were being able to process some of the stuff um, that was happening. Um, I know everyone has a different experience um, during that time, but for me, um, in my tenure there, I think that was the first time I actually could say there was a, a tangible support in that regards. Um, so I took a bit of time off. I think a bunch of people took a little bit of time off and we came back and we um, we just kind of got, got back after it. And But we, we got back after it like a little bit slower. Um, I think we even scaled down our experience and our offering. Um, not to like slight the player, but just, I don't know if you notice, like our, our pedigree is that we always try to go bigger, 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 bigger. And this time we just, yeah. we just wanted to make something that felt competent. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, I mean, if you played our campaign experience, it was like, I, I would say it's probably hands down our best campaign experience that Black Ops that we've made. And it was because we got more focus on the essentials versus like mm -hmm. just making it grandiose. Which to me, I always like the sequel that goes a little smaller. Um, you know, for me, like uh, that's the one reason I love Empire Strikes Back so much. It's like you got, you know, the big uh, <laughs> yeah. Hoth battle initially, but the rest of it's just character movie. Yeah, yeah. It's just a character movie and these two different storylines and they, and they collide at the end and it's very understated. I mean, big things happen, but it's all character based. There's no Death Star. There's no... You know, we don't got to blow anything up. It's just like fighting for the soul of uh, Luke Skywalker. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's like that. Exactly. That's, that's good stuff, man. That's all I need. So, yeah, yeah exactly. I, like, I think that was a good move. Well, one, it sort of sounds like it came from necessity, but also that can make you, I can have a much more focused story and a better experience overall. Yeah, man. And, you know, um, that gives you focus. It gives, when you, I, like the one thing that I really loved about working from home, and I think it's a it, it's a bigger metaphor of probably the overall experience, is when we went home, the chatter went away. Um, I, I understand that everybody um, have different mental uh, capacities. Like some people, it might drive them insane not having the buzz. But for me, like not having the constant like people walking in office, people asking you questions as you walk past and, you know, and it's, it's what needed. It really kind of um, cleaned off the lens a little bit so that you can focus a little bit more. And I think mm -hmm. as a bigger piece, you know, we were able to like, oh, those random meetings that we were having at eight o'clock about whatever lighting, <laughs> is that, was that important? No. Mm -hmm. 
um, it, it probably probably was not, you know. So now it's like, OK, we've made a decision and we can move forward without like constantly making micro adjustments that in the grander scheme, you know, I'm putting myself on blast. It's like in the grand scheme, it's like it's not really that important. Um, but, you know, it's, it's still like and I know you said, like, it was the first time you felt that you had support in that area in like a real tangible way. Mm-hmm. You feel like that support's still there, and that's something you guys are, you know, being dude. Yeah, more, are there being more mindful of? I guess. So I just think that I like. So short answer is yes, but I think yeah, um, society is not going to like. They're not going to allow bullshit, right? They're not going to allow for things to just go back to how, you know, like attempts at trying to solve something like no no there needs to be a real tangible thing and i i really think at least at treyarch i would say a treyarch can't really speak for activision as a whole but at least for treyarch there's there was there's been a commitment um to making sure people are cool making sure people are like there's a big de and i initiative just i think globally across all all corporations but treyarch like it's like a like they're really focusing on some of that, um, and and how does that manifest? That manifests in like um, surveys, you know, um, you know, like hey, what's your what's your mental health? And then from there, our studio heads will will talk about here's where we're at mentally right now um, across the studio. So we're going to give everyone like a no meeting Friday, and people have the ability to either take that as a day off or they just can sit in blissful tranquility and getting work done without without having a meeting pop up on their schedule um, yeah I, I really do feel like there's been an honest push in that and I that I do genuinely appreciate that um, yeah yeah that sounds like a great move they're also just showing that they they care about you guys and want you all to be in as good a head headspace as you can be yeah i'm sure with uh with the switch to being remote i mean that had to completely change pipelines and and everything to in communication yeah man it i it went from not knowing what slack is at all (laughs) to like stop calling me on slack like your balance was like all right emails and your calendar invite and um and organically meeting people in the hallway and talking about things to I rarely check email. Um, I'm pretty sure there's people probably yelling at me for not responding to an email, but I check Slack, you know, like religiously, you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. um, in the organization. So it's, it definitely changed the face of how we communicate um, to it. The way I look at it was like email um, officially was, um, formal and informal ways of communication. And then we had like other, like, um, I forget, uh, instant messaging services that we used. Um, and those were just like super casual. Now Slack is at least a Treyarch. It's the formal, it's the formal and informal way. And then email is primarily formal. You know what I mean? It's like, Oh, I got an email. This must be important. I had a lot of meetings already to like, I had a wall of meetings every day because you couldn't just walk in in my office, you know, 
It was like just the smallest things like, hey, Sean, I need you to look at the lighting in this level or hey, what's going on with like um, the weather effects in another level. It's like everything, everything was a meeting. I think most leaders looked at themselves as like, we're just we're servicing the, the, the Zoom and slack odds and we're just going to do what we need to do to make sure everyone is unblocked you know we play the game and what we would do um like what i would do is like hey this looks odd this looks weird um and i'll just put it to a slack channel that was specifically for that map and um and they would uh they meaning the teams primarily the producers will respond to me or whoever and say hey um we're already taking care of that we know it's a bug oh thank you for calling it out Maybe we or hey, we need to set up a meeting because we don't know um, what your um, comments meant. So um, and that would be one aspect. And then the other aspect would be just weekly um, reviews, either it's for cinematics, it's for characters, for lighting. It's like constant reviews. Did you guys have like difficulty adjusting to that or was it pretty organic? No, the review process is um, like you know, if you're playing baseball, the swinging is, is, was consistent. Now, you know, every, now we're playing like, you know, on, on the switch and it's like, oh, this is all digital. The problem comes, the, the real tricky part comes in was like lighting things that are sensitive to color accuracy and, um, and exposure, um, and also, like, um, there's latency issues when someone is streaming and you're like, wait, why did that explosion look like it's only like two frames per second? Like, what's what happened there? Like, um, oh, and then someone's like, well, it's running perfectly on my screen. And you're like, I know that looks kind of busted. <laughs> you know, God bless all the produ- the, the um, APs, but they would they would also I, I I give them so much credit for this, but they would they would record the map, like a map fly through or something like that. Typically the day prior of or or record like characters it typically a day prior and send it to like myself and you'd be able to like, oh okay. I still that's gotta be a little inconvenient though. Yeah, very much so. I mean and, and but you also lose you also lose the the organic nature of sitting in a room and reading the room and you know, realizing that your decision was stupid. You know what I mean? You know, say, hey, I think we need to go down this direction. And people will tell you, sometimes they'll tell you when it, when it sucks. Um, there's a couple of uh, key individuals, um, like one of my good buddies there, Rob, will straight up like, he's like a, a, a senior lighter there. And he, he'll yell, Sean, this is lame. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, you, you, you have a couple of those people, but but sometimes you're in rooms with like really junior people and or Zoom meetings and they just they're they're nervous about giving feedback or don't know what feedback they should be providing. Um, and with their camera off, it's hard to know uh, what's happening. So you do. It is challenging in that regards. It's challenging to connect and try to keep a team engagement because they're not sitting next to you. Yeah, that's something that I definitely miss from being in office. Are you guys back in the office, or do you, can you kind of pick what you want to do? Or we're not back in the office um, just yet. Um, we're we're actually working through that right now. What what does that look like? Um, but um, I mean, we there will be some hybrid type of environment moving forward. Um, 
But yeah, I, I think the intention is to be back in the office for all the people that can and it's safe and it's healthy for. It is an intention to be back in the office. Um, but I think for a, a portion of the group, you know, some people moved out of state and things like that um, because it's cheaper to live, you know, somewhere else. Um, so it's it's going to still be, you know, some of those people will just will have to be remote. Yeah, I think now that, that we've we've gone through that, gone through, you know, full remote, being able to shift back to a hybrid hopefully won't be too much of a transition because, we'll, you know, we're kind of used to doing it both ways at this point. You know what I'm actually interested in what will happen I feel like the playing ground was even right now um, because everyone was either equally uninformed of things or equally informed. You know what I mean? Because it required effort to to seek out the information you need. Like I have to call someone. I have to, you know what I mean? Someone has to make me aware and do whatever. Mm -hmm. But um, when you're, I'm curious of what's going to happen when we get back into the office of the people that are not in the office, the shorthand knowledge that you would get just by literally at the microwave warming up a burrito and realizing like um, someone comes in and is like, hey, what, what's going on with this, this, and this? And the, whatever the topic is could impact a multitude of different people. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. I, I am curious the long-term effects of what that's going to be like. How information is disseminated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just that is a good point. And just tracked, yeah. and um, I can make a decision in passing with someone within ten minutes that could alter the course of something. And um, now I got to bring people to speed of like, how do we make that? How do we? How do we even get to the point of having that conversation? Like, what happened? So you have to backtrack all of that. It's mm -hmm. yeah. I th I'm interested in what's going to happen moving forward. I'm sure like all things, there'll be an iterative process around it where I'll start as something, then adjustments will be made and you guys will figure it out. You guys sound like you got, you know what, you guys know what you're doing. You're the <laughs> best studios in the world. You'll figure it out. I have every confidence in you. Oh, thank you. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, so in terms of like the overall, um, um, like when you're talking to your team about like sort of maintain maintaining their creativity, but still you're making a big commercial commercial game. Like, how do you guys try to find that balance within your team of empowering them, but also making them realize, hey, you know, we are making a game together, and you, you can't just like sort of do whatever you want, but you can still be creative, sort of deal. How do you guys balance that with with your teams? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, when you're working on a project like COD. I think it's it's more real that you're a commercial artist at that point than you are just a creative output individual. Um, and what I mean is that there's a bit of this decision is going to be seen by a multitude of different people. So I can't just make the decision flippantly. Um, when I, on other games I've worked on, it was like, well, I think it's cool. So it's going in the game. And that's it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a bit of like, hey, your 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 decisions have impact at a at a magnitude that that is that's a little bit more different than any other experience I've been on. So I think people instantly calibrate to that. You know what I mean? 
um, you instantly realize like, oh yeah. And sometimes I've had to have conversations with um, some of the junior artists or whatever. And like, um, I know you want to do this, this and that, but you know, we really need you to kind of, or I need you to align to what we have going on, you know? So you, um, or their lead will have to um, have those conversations um, to like, hey, you know, we need to hear to the bigger picture and not not make everything a unicorn. Um, on the specific art team, on the on the with the with the artists themselves, you know, um, how we give them the flexibility is that not everything's like solved. There's like here's the overall vision for the map or the character design or whatever it is, um, and we hired you for a reason. You're not you're not like artist number forty five, right? It's like no we hired you Joaquin to do the best thing you can do. So we're expecting that you're going to fill in the blanks on a lot of things. Um, and that's where your creativity comes in to really fill in those blanks and to modify it and then come up with something that causes us to be like, Hey, that's a different perspective. It's still in line with what we, what we have planned, but it's a little different. So now we can make adjustments. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of times artists also, it's like, if you feel really passionate about something a certain way, like, especially with lighting, especially with lighting, it's like, hey, I think the, think the time of day is like this, whatever. Um, and the artist might be like, well, I really think we should be doing, we should do the lighting like this. Um, you know, whatever it is, could be like, um, could be like morning with fog or something like that. And um, it's like, well, let's get the first thing first and then let's put the other one on a um, on another light set so that we can switch between and then we'll play it. And um, and what we find a lot of times is sometimes it's like, oh, well, that actually it doesn't take away and actually adds. So and then that boosts that artist's confidence and being able to do what they got to do. Yeah, I like that a lot, too. It's like, let's see. Let's see if that'll work as opposed to being like, no, no, we're not even going to entertain that. Yeah, no, it's like you do what's laid out and what we agreed upon. And let's make sure that is sound and competent and then show us your option. Yeah. And then that way, if it doesn't work out right with what they wanted to do, it's like at least you got what you originally set out to do. Exactly. Exactly. Super smart. Yeah. Like that a lot. Um, in terms of, you know, we were talking about earlier, you know, your experience with all the, you know, all the social injustice of. 2020 and whatnot mm -hmm. in terms of like and also thinking more about diversity in the games industry and inclusiveness how are you feeling about about that you know at this time whether it be like in Treyarch or in the industry in general um, curious about your thoughts there diversity um, definitely I think um, our games especially on black ops have started to become more diverse like if you look at um, our like, say, if you look at Cold War, for instance, um, and you look at um, MTX, all the MTX characters and stuff like that, like, there was a concerted effort to make sure that we we really hit a broad swath there, um, primarily in a character, but also diversity within levels. But just thinking about social injustice and things like that, we really tried to do that. Um, and we also made sure, like, we get, like, different types of protagonists either it's a female like in, especially in our text like you know like women or um males um so 
I speaking for and since I'm directly involved in a lot of that, it makes it a little bit easier to help push that agenda. And we have a lot of people that like our our writer um, Dan Lawfer and um, this uh, our like one of our creative directors like Miles Leslie and all them then and Dan Bondrack like they they really focus on and and our character artists um, this guy named Sunny uh, they, they understand the importance of like really pushing for diversity but we also have um um we have groups that focus on diversity and and like checks us like for instance like there'd be there'd be scenarios where you might make something really benign and we have a group that will look over some of our content and give us a report back of like hey um the way this character is talking um, or the way this character look might not, it, it's too stereotypical of what um, transgender would look like. No, you know, these are some modifications and we can make those adjustments. Um, so yeah, we do have that um, as well to help us, but um, not to be long-winded, if, but I, I am actually a little disappointed globally with our industry. Um, like if you do a search right now, yeah, and you look across like all the upcoming games, like, and I and I'm not trying to be like, um, like bashing males or bashing whatever, but if you look across the games and you're like, hey, all these protagonists are just this like, just your your typical kind of like, uh, uh Caucasian male, yeah, you know, it's like, but why? Mm-hmm. Like, why is that the case? Like, what is that character? What is this ethnicity adding value to your story? And I think that is the that's the thing that I'm disappointed because I don't feel like we're being challenged enough to understand. Like, we're just default. So it's not um, it's not like a slight on any particular game, but I do wish we had a more honest look of what our society looks like yeah. across the board. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, look at, um, I remember, sorry, I'm going to tangent. No, no, please. I remember, I remember, um, um, going to go see, um, the multi, uh, Spider-Man. What is it? In the multiverse? Oh, it, the oh one, yeah. The, uh, mm-hmm. Oh, are you talking about yeah. the Spider-Verse one? The Miles Morales Spider-verse, movie? Spider-Verse. Thank you. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm watching that with, um, with my nephew and you know I'm a grown man, so I don't mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think about things a certain way anymore. Mm-hmm. But he was like, "Hey, Spider Man looks like me," and it was like a profound moment in his life. And I just was like, "Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah." And um, and I think in. I know that's kind of shameful to be like, oh, yeah, I had that same epiphany. But there is something to be said about having representation. And I feel like our culture is just so our society is just made of of just so many different types of um, people that just it can just add value to your game and it won't take away. So I am disappointed. Yeah, no, I totally, you know. I don't totally understand where you're coming from, but I, I understand what you're, I, I, I get it in the sense of like what you're feeling. Cause I, I can never yeah. you know feel what you're feeling. Right. But, yeah. but I, I can get it. And like, that's the one reason, like I seek out a lot of, um, you know, for films, like I like to watch 
a lot of Korean films, yeah, uh, Mexican films, um, yeah, African American films. Um, just because like I'm, I kind of get tired of the same old stories that a lot of like that we've seen for so long. That's you know popular in in, in culture. Um, because I'm like I, I need to get different perspectives, different voice. And you're right, like I can't really think. Like when you were talking, I was like, I'm trying to think of just games where it's like not just another white male protagonist sort of thing. And like one of the ones that really jumped out to me was um, like Last of Us Two. You know, you're playing as two women, one, one which is a oh you know, yeah a lesbian yeah. And, and Ellie, which was really cool. Um, and then it's like it's so weird to me also just like the how, how vitriolic people can be when it's like a, something that they're not used to. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and it's just really odd to me. Like, I just want to see a good story, and and my yeah. thing is like, is like there are good stories. You can create good stories with every single kind of person in the world, and we should see more mm-hmm. of that. That's that's all I really care about. And I yeah. I think that's you know, and I one thousand percent agree with you. It's like you're not trying to be tokenizing of right. like adding like oh. Let's just throw a girl in here because, um, yeah, we want to. It's like we're checking off but, a box on it, kind of thing. Yeah, but yeah. what is it? What is it adding value? Like, it might make sense that it might have to be, you know, um, this white male. It might make sense, sure. But I'm pretty sure if you add depth to your to your game, um, you might realize like, oh, this person experienced like what? Like, let's just say, for instance, right? Like. Um, um, L, right? Um, in Last of Us, right? Um, you know, she was a tough, she was a tough girl. Yeah. And, um, in her experiences made her that way. Not right. because she's a lesbian, but her experiences made her that way. Exactly. And, um, and she so happenedly to be lesbian, but, um, you know, which I think gave, gave, had an added bonus of like, oh yeah, you know, like it, it, it just added depth to it. But it's like, if you'd have made, bro, if, if they had just made it like some just random, like um, just some random kid or something like that, mm-hmm. I'm, I've been like, this, I, I'm sure it would not have had as much of a salient, you know, memory in people's mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was the thing, like, I, you know, appreciate about what they did with that is like, she it's not like shoving anything down your throat it's just that's who she is yeah and they established that's who that. she is yeah they established that with the first game and the uh the dlc where it's like you get to yeah. meet her first crush and and it's just totally natural and organic you're not even thinking about oh my god it's a it's a it's a lesbian in a game it's like no it's a this is a it's like yes but it's also this is a person and this is who she is and that's that's yeah. great dude when i saw like that um the kiss of uh, on I think it was Last of Us Two. I was in a trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a part of me was just like, "Yeah, that makes sense." Like yeah. it, like they're obviously in love with one. It's just you know what I mean. It was right, like right. it. It wasn't the um, because you can. I mean, I live in California. You can go in like Hollywood or something like mm-hmm. that. You can go anywhere here, and it's just going to happen. So yeah. it's just normal. Yeah, yeah. Sean, this was a lot of fun. Uh, I could <laughs> keep talking to you all day, but. I know you got to run. Uh, I got to run too soon. So uh, I think we'll we'll wrap up here. I guess uh, last thing I'll uh, I'll ask real quick is um, we were trying to get folks to give give more advice to to people who want to want to break mm-hmm. in the industry, maybe break into the the field you're in. Would you have like any one specific 
kernel of wisdom for someone out there who maybe wants to get into 3D art to become an art director? Yeah. Um, well, to break into the industry, I think it's, um, I, I kind of live by a couple of like really simple truths is like really staying humble, you know, trying to stay, um, strive for excellence um, and just keep learning, I think are like the, the tent poles of who I am. But I think, and, and why saying that is um, for people that are really trying to break into the industry, um, there's a part of needing to be specialized. Um, so you think you really need to work on your craft and what you want to do and get, get um, hone that, hone your, hone your viewpoint and not so much of um, this is what everyone else is doing so therefore i'm going to do it really trying to hone your viewpoint because i look i think a lot of people look for that authenticity in that in that artist but then also reaching out to your um to your um to your network really getting into um connect like reach out to people on linkedin i've talked to a bunch of people on linkedin um like hey and staying humble is like hey i'm new to the industry i want some advice I, I know your time is busy. I know you're busy. Can you take like literally like 10 minutes? Just look at my stuff. If it's if it's worthwhile, you know, uh, please give me uh, less talk. Let's set up some time. And when you set up time, uh, people might want to set up time for hours or an hour. If you're if someone's a, at, a, at a higher level, like I only need 10 minutes of your time. I need 15 minutes of your time. And that makes it more ap uh, appealing. And then from there, mm -hmm. once you kind of build up that rapport and you feel like you have it, um, or at least for me, I will take their stuff and I'll pass it along to our, record, our recruiter. So I think it's, you know, working on your craft, reaching out to your, um, extending beyond your comfort zone, reaching out to those, um, to those, uh, um, the, the people within your network or just beyond your network. Um, and then um, being uh, consistent, following up, um, taking their feedback and turning it around. I think those are like, um, those are keys just to break in. And then once you're in, once you're in the industry, my suggestion is cast away all of your assumptions. And what I mean by that is there's a bit of, I, I hear it all the time, well, I thought an art director was supposed to do this, or I thought I was supposed to do this, or I thought, you know what I'm saying? You're coming with so many assumptions of like, or expectations. It's like, if you're newer to the industry, bro, you just, you just need to like come in and be a sponge. Yeah. Ask as many questions. Everyone knows you're new. Everyone knows you're new. Ask, ask so many questions so that you ultimately are informed and you know what you need to get done. So what happens is once you're informed, then um, people start relying on you because you're getting you're getting stuff done, um, yeah. and there's no second guessing. You know what I mean? So um, I know that was like a, a, a maze of different things, but um, no, that's all good stuff. Yeah, um, I think particularly with you know asking questions and being being active once you're in because it doesn't stop just you know just because you got in you got to. You gotta, and you also gotta let people know that you exist. Yeah, yeah, and it's like you're at the end of the day. Um, if you think of yourself as a brand, you just want to make sure that your brand is servicing 
um, your community well. And what I mean by that is making sure that um, you're getting all the data that you need, all the analytics by asking questions, getting all of that squared away. So therefore, your brand is someone that can that people can look at. It's like, oh, man, this this person is is they're striving for excellence. They're getting stuff done. So that's kind of how I how I look at it. And I love I love I love 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 working with people that are hungry in that way and I don't have to second guess them. Well said. Well, Sean, I think that that wraps us up, man. Really uh-huh. good stuff. Great talking to you. Uh, I hopefully in that word soup of stuff, um, there was, there was some <laughs> gems there. Uh, so many gems. Yeah. So, um, uh, thank you. Thank you, Graham, for taking the time. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, that's going to wrap up our interview with Sean. We want to thank him again for being our guest. To find out more about Mudstack, head over to mudstack.com where you can follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and join our community on Discord. And of course, we want to thank you for listening. We'll see you next time on Clear as Mud. Mm-hmm.